You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. It is not good for the man to be alone. So that sets up our study and brings us to our first point. And if you're taking notes, write this down. And that is man's incompleteness. Man's incompleteness. And so out of this void comes the most wonderful of God's creations, the first woman, Adam's wife and companion, Eve. It's not good for man to be alone. When God created Adam on the sixth day of creation, he concluded that he was good. But before we even make it halfway through the next chapter, God deems that Adam needs help. He needs a companion. Was God surprised by this, or was it his plan all along? As Pastor Mike will point out in today's message, this need led to arguably God's most wonderful creation, woman. Adam was incomplete without her, and together, they became whole. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 2, as he begins his message, She Shall Be Called Woman. Now, first of all, what I find very interesting here in this text of Scripture is that up until this point, everything that God had created, we've been talking about God's creation, His wonderful capacity to be able to create. But everything up until this point, as a part of our text, that God had created has been declared good. In fact, go back to chapter 1, the last verse in chapter 1. Notice what it says there, chapter 1 and verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. It was very good. But such is not the case before us, according to this text of Scripture. God, think about this now, checking out Adam, declares in verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone. So that sets up our study and brings us to our first point. And if you're taking notes, write this down. And that is man's incompleteness. Man's incompleteness. And so out of this void comes the most wonderful of God's creations, the first woman, Adam's wife and companion, Eve. Now, concerning Eve, notice, let's go back to our text in verses 21 and 22. We learn several things about this woman, about this creation of God. First of all, the woman was made for man. Secondly, 
she was given to man. And then thirdly, she was a gift to man that had come from God. Okay, so to help us understand these descriptions, let's talk about Adam's preparation by God to receive the woman. And let me highlight that word preparation, because there needed to be some preparation before God in giving Adam the woman received her and understood what that gift was really all about. And in studying this particular text of Scripture, although we're going to be talking about the relationship between Adam and Eve, we're going to be talking a little bit about marriage and the relationship of marriage, I think that this text of Scripture also helps us and is extremely relevant when you consider everything that's going on right now, this new women's movement, if you will. I believe that this text of Scripture will also help us in the ways that we think about women, our relationship to women, how that we need to cherish women as well, okay? You know, I mean, really, our culture and our society today has really just, you know, placed women in a category of just sexual beings. And, you know, a lot of men just relate to women in that way as, uh, you know, some kind of a sexual uh, toy or, or, you know, something to, to play with and, And uh, so I believe that this text of Scripture addresses those ideas and false concepts of our relationship with women. Now, first of all, let me say, and I want you to, and I remind you, that Adam had been made in the image of God. We've already established that. We talked about what that looks like, what that infers. And in his pristine state, before the fall of the first man, the first woman, in that pristine state, Initially, the way that God had created him, I want you to think about this now, Adam was a superman. I mean, think about it. Truly, he was. Possessing great strength and wisdom. But nevertheless, still, God needed to show Adam that in all of his created order, in all of its variety, in all of its beauty, still, there was no creature that was suited to be his companion. So think about it. Shoulder to shoulder, according to this text of Scripture, go back to our text in verses 19 and 20. Shoulder to shoulder, God and Adam, as the animals passed by, Adam studied each one. He categorized them. He cataloged them according to their certain characteristics, abilities, and named each one, and did so not arbitrarily, neither. And I believe, as part of this process that's being played out here for us in this text of Scripture, he was also to determine whether any could be a suitable helpmate for him. Notice, and I come to that conclusion by what is recorded for us in the latter part of verse 20. Go back to our text. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Okay, so as each one of the animals passed by, he categorized them, placed them in different categories. You know, talk about wisdom. He named each one of them, and even those names today stand. Isn't that interesting? It's all because of the names that Adam had given each one of them. You know, so talk about great wisdom. Think about the capacity he had to possess to be able to accomplish that. But also, I believe, as part of this process of naming each one of these 
animals that God had created, he was also to determine, as each one passed by, I don't know if you've ever considered this before, whether any of them could be a suitable helpmate for him. And I also throw this into the mix. Prior to all of what is being recorded there for us in 19 and 20 as a part of this process of naming the animals, Adam hadn't a clue. He didn't know anything about women. How's that? Because women hadn't been created yet. Oh, boy, was he in for a big surprise. <laughs> Amen, right? Now, let me say it again. He was also to determine whether any of these animals could be suitable helpmates for him. And I, again, I come to that conclusion based on what's recorded for us there in verse 20. It says, and again, it just seems like if you didn't consider this, it would seem like it was out of place. Like the writer here in this portion of scripture in the book of Genesis, who I believe was Moses himself, it, it doesn't fall into place. It just doesn't seem to gel with the rest of the text. Because it goes on to declare, but for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So was he supposed to be looking for a helper? Was he instructed by God in this whole process, this, this picture, that, this play, if you will, this thing that's being played out here, was he also to consider, as each one of the animals passed by, a suitable, suitable helpmate for him? Now, why was it that none was found? Because none other than Adam was created in God's image. We've already talked about this. Possessing a spirit, all of the animals were just simply body and soul, if you will. Two-dimensional creations of God, body and soul. Body, their physical bodies, their souls, some type of... Uh, limited intellect, that's the way that God created the animal uh, kingdom, but none of those possessed a spirit, and we've also talked about that, and that infers that capacity, that ability to communicate with Adam on a spiritual uh, level, and those were just some of the reasons why none of the animals could provide what Adam had need of, and by the way, just a side note, let me throw this into the mix as well. This radical discontinuity between Adam and the animal kingdom is just an additional refutation of the evolutionary theory. Uh, think about it. Dr. Henry Morris, who, who uh, is a scientist, a respected scientist, he is the founder of the Research uh, Institute in San Diego a highly respected a scientist, a fellow whose name is uh, Henry Morris, Dr. Henry Morris, who, by the way, many years ago when I had another radio broadcast before the one that we currently have, it was called The Harvest Celebration, and uh, we broadcast it over the weekend. And, uh, and a part of the broadcast was I would interview different Christians, and everything from like Pastor Chuck Smith to Henry Morris to... Christians who were starring on Broadway or in television or theater or whatever, and, uh, and they would be a part of the program. So many years ago, I had the opportunity and the privilege to be able to go down to San Diego and actually interview uh, Dr. Henry uh, Morris for one of our broadcasts on the uh, Harvest Celebration, which was on back then on WWDJ, if you remember that uh, station. But anyway, he said in his comment, he's written many commentaries and he said, as it relates to this point, and this is very interesting, it kind of blows holes in the theory of evolution. If man had evolved from them, 
that is the animal kingdom, it seems strange that he couldn't find, that is Adam, couldn't find anything in common with his parents or his siblings. And I absolutely agree with that statement. Isn't that true? Just something to think about. So anyway, I, th- I just thought I'd throw that in there. There's no extra charge for that. But anyway, oh, how we need to appreciate women. Particularly men, husbands, appreciate our wives. Now, all of the wives are thinking, yeah, Pastor Mike, preach it. Go for it, right? And this first woman, I want you to think about this woman, Eve. She must have been something. Equal to the first man, Adam, who is a superman. So therefore, it would have followed true that Eve, the first woman, was a what? A Wonder Woman. All right. Okay, since the Wonder Woman movie has been so popular. Surpassing any woman today that is in her pristine state before the fall of Adam and Eve, before sin entered into the picture. This woman was strong. This woman was brilliant. She excelled in beauty and grace. And I'm sure Adam's initial response, seeing this woman for the first time, was booyah, you know. <laughs> or, or you've heard me suggest before, you know, how did the woman uh, come to be known as woman? And uh, it was because Adam, in all of his excitement after God had created the woman, he rather said, Wow, man, you know. But anyway, didn't get the response I was looking for. (laughs) Yet in spite of all of this, the Bible declares, in spite of this woman uh, in her pristine state, strong, brilliant, excelled in beauty, in grace, in spite of all of this, the Bible declares she was made for man and she was to be his helpmate. Now, here... Therein lies the problems with some women. This incenses today's feminists, causes great anxiety among some women. I mean, to speak of a woman being made for men, her need to be obedient to man in marriage, some would respond and say, hey, pastor, that's prejudicial. That is an exercise in inequality. These notions must be cast aside. They're outdated. They're Victorian. Well, in response to that, okay, let's talk about equality for a moment. Here's the question. Are men and women equal? And what does God think about that question, that issue? Well, let me suggest a couple of things. First of all, in God's eyes, both were created in the image of God. Isn't that true? Both were placed under the moral command of God and thus given moral responsibility. They were both responsible for their actions. Both were guilty, and we'll get to this later on in one of our future studies as we continue to move on through this series in the book of Genesis in their fall and the first sin, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but we'll save that for another message in the in the very near future. But both were guilty of disobeying God's command and were therefore judged for their disobedience. And both are like objects of God's grace in Christ. So as far as God is concerned about whether or not a man and a woman 
are equal as far as God is concerned. Let me give you a couple of cross-references. For example, in the book of Galatians in chapter 3, in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let me give you another cross-reference. In the book of 1 Peter, in chapter 3, in verse 7, husbands likewise dwell with them, that it would be your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and this weaker vessel, don't misunderstand, in strength. There, I believe that that's the reference to uh, there. And as being heirs together, notice, of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. But I want to emphasize being heirs together of the grace of life. And so beyond these items, equality is nearly irrelevant. You say, what do I mean? Well, think about this. In the Bible, the husband and wife is introduced as a deliberate, I believe at least, parallel to the Trinity of God. Consider the Trinity just for a moment. What are we talking about? Three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that make up the Godhead. They are the same in substance. Now think of that within the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife, okay? There's the same in substance. They're equal in power and glory, that is the Trinity. Yet the members of the Godhead deliberately and willingly submitting themselves to each other in the grand work of redemption. The Son submits to the Father, the Spirit to both the Father and the Son. And I believe that that very much parallels the marriage relationship. Let me give you a couple of cross-references for this. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, in verse 3. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Ephesians chapter 5, in verses 22 through 25. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Listen, let me, let me also say, and I don't have this in my notes. If the husband is not loving his wife as Christ loved the church, that is giving himself sacrificially in that relationship, putting the woman, his wife, before himself and his own needs, the woman is not under any obligation to obey him. So... Okay, I just wanted to mention that. You know, if the woman is getting beat up in the marriage relationship, getting taken advantage of in the marriage relationship, he's making decisions based solely on his own interests, his own needs, blowing his wife off. Well, you're not under, as a woman, as a wife in that relationship, you're not under any obligation or responsibility to obey your husband, particularly if he's encouraging you to disobey God's laws or God's will, okay? So I wanted to be very clear about that. So anyway, and also in those verses of Scripture that I've just 
mentioned as cross-references, make no mistake about this, we're talking about marriage here. Our text doesn't imply or suggest that women are to exist for every man, still less to be obedient to him. You're not under any obligation just because you're a woman to obey me, right? Or you're not subject to me. You're an equal to me. Remember that, okay? This is only within the confines of the marriage relationship here that we're talking about, okay? Remember, we're trying to answer that question. Are men and women equal? Well, as far as God is concerned, they are. But if the man is her husband, she is to be his helpmate. Now, that's what God says, okay? That's just the order of things. If you're fighting against that and struggling against that and are not given to that, you'll never experience a a true union in the relationship of marriage, you know? What a wonderful thing it is to just, you know, you have a godly husband who's willing to sacrifice for you, right? God has brought you together in this union uh, known as marriage, and uh, he's loving you as Christ loved the church. He's given himself, every, every decision that he makes is based upon what's good for you, what's good for the kids. What a wonderful thing it is for a woman, you know, to have that kind of a headship over her to just submit. I don't have to mess with all of them. Let him take care of it. And you can just rest in that. You know that he's got your back. You know that he's only concerned about your best interest for yourself and for your kids. What a blessing that is. What a comfort. What peace. Why wouldn't you submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, you see? Right? It's just a wonderful blessing. It's a part of that union as God has ordained it for us. So if the man is her husband, she is to be his helpmate. You know, get behind him and do everything that you possibly can do to help him to be successful as the husband, as the leader of the family. And if she can't be his helpmate, well, guess what? You know, if that's a problem that you have, you know, with the submission thing, if that's just who you are, it's not a part of your personality, your upbringing or whatever, your temperament, hey, guess what? Don't get married because you're going to have problems. If that's who you are, hey, listen, if that's who you are, that's who you are, but don't get married if you're not willing to submit to your husband. Because submission is a voluntary kind of a thing. And it's just a part of having a successful marriage relationship. Now, also, let's go back to our text. Not only is the woman made for man, but she is made from him. Because notice in verses 21 and 22, And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, 
We see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. My heart not be troubled.